Glad you're here to worship with us today. Isn't it a great thing that we serve a living God, that God is actually with us? There are people all around the world today that are, that are worshiping sticks and stones, but we know that our God is alive, and we have the promise that when we lift him up in worship, he is here. And he gave us the promise that if, that if we lift him up, that he will draw all men unto him. So let's lift, lift him up in praise this morning. We're going to sing the song, God with us. Sings a brand new song. 
baby's chains are gone, Emmanuel, God with us. Such a tiny Such a tiny offering compared to Calvary. Nevertheless, we lay this at your feet. All that is within me, Christ, for you alone be glorified, Emmanuel. God be A brand new song The dead is paid These chains are gone Emmanuel God with us Hallelujah I pray this morning It has already been a beautiful weekend We've had a great Sunday school this morning I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer But what I hope this morning Is that each one of us in this place We'll take this opportunity to truly look to the Lord and say, God, speak to me this day. It is a tiny offering what we can give back to the Lord. But if we will ask him, he'll pour out, heaped up, overflowing his Holy Spirit, if we'll ask him to. Amen? So let's do that in one accord. Father God, I come before you this morning, and I thank you and I praise you for a great Sunday school class, a a, a great start to the service here today. And God, we give it all to you knowing that this entire service is yours. I pray everything that transpires in this place today will glorify your name, glorify who you are, and may we edify one another. But most of all, may we leave this place, each one of us individually knowing that you are our Lord, our God. There's someone here today, Lord, for whatever reason, that has never allowed themselves to make that conscious decision. They've never truly sold out and given you everything. May this be the day that 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 happens. Father, we come to you this day, and we just ask for your grace, your wisdom, but most of all, that salvation of your holy blood, your anointing. May your will be done in here this day, and we give you all praise, honor, and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's good seeing everybody this morning. I look forward to to what God's going to do in your life today. But walk around a second, shake somebody's hand, give them a hug, and just let them know it's good to see them in God's house today. Yes, sir? God is good all the time. He put a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good all the time. To the darkest night, His light will shine. God is good. God is good. He's so good. He's so good all the time. If you're walking through the valley and there are shadows all around, do not fear. He will guide you. He will keep you safe and sound. For He has promised not to leave you, 
Don't forsake you. And His word is true. God is good. All the time. He put a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good. All the time. To the darkest night is the shine, God is good. God is good. He's so good. He's so good all the time. We were sinners, so unworthy, yet for us He chose to die. Filled us with His Holy Spirit, now we can stand and testify. That His love is everlasting, and His mercies, they will never end. God is good, all the time, He put a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good, all the time, through the darkest night, His light will shine. God is good. He's so good, He's so good all the time. God is good, God is good all the time. All the time. He put a song God of praise in this heart of mine. God is good, God is good all the time. All the time. Through the darkest night, His light will shine. God is good, God is good. He's so good, He's so good all the time. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. As we grab our seats this morning. Oh, I didn't get with Chris. Chris, you got scripture reading this morning? Okay, awesome. As we grab our seats this morning, just a, a few announcements, one of which I like seeing here is Sunday school was up to 54 this morning. Praise the Lord. Give God the glory. Amen. I like it when I see that Sunday school score keep going up like that. That is a Sunday school score. I have no idea where that came from. Uh, yeah, touchdown. <laughs> we made 54. All right. I got Super Bowl on the brain, I suppose. However, that being said, uh, let me throw these two next two Sunday evenings at you. There will be no services here this evening because this is our fifth Sunday associational singing at First Stockdale. So everyone is invited. There will have a meal at 5 o'clock this afternoon, and then at 6 o'clock the music will start. So if you'd like to come and eat, um, the email that I received stated that they are supplying everything and then we'll take up a love offering. Uh, I know someone mentioned that they thought that we were supposed to bring covered dishes. Unfortunately, I can only tell you what the email said, so I'm going to go and just eat. But anyway, <laughs> no, it is a good time for us to go and, and, and fellowship and just enjoy the worship that we can have in song with these other churches as well. And our, our guys will go and present a couple of songs also. It's just going to be a great time praising God tonight. So I want to encourage everybody, 5 o'clock will be the meal, 6 o'clock is when they'll start the music. If you need a ride, let me know and I can swing by here and, and grab you and you can ride along with and or if we have a lot of folks, we can take the bus, whatever needs to happen to get folks there. So if you'd like to go and have a good time, that's this evening. Now next Sunday evening, for the last many years, we've always had a Super Bowl party on Super Bowl night for the... Uh, Super Bowl Sunday. This year, as I shared last week, Trisha Selig is getting married, and she wanted to have her wedding on her 
mama's birthday who had passed away. Well, her mama's birthday fell on Super Bowl Sunday. And obviously, that trumped me doing the Super Bowl party. So, there will be no Super Bowl party going on here next Sunday evening. However, we will not have services at all because I'll be in New Braunfels performing Trisha's wedding ceremony. So, no services this Sunday night nor next Sunday night. Y'all are getting a vacation of sorts. You get to go listen to music tonight and watch football next Sunday night at home. But whatever uh, uh, you're going to be doing these next two Sunday nights, just because there's no services here, doesn't mean that, that we lock God away in a closet somewhere. Wherever you go, make sure you take God with you. Amen? Amen. So no services this evening and no services, no services here this evening and no services here next Sunday evening as well. I think that was all the announcements that I was going to present. The only other thing I was going to say, next Sunday, we are going to be starting a new study in, our, in the adult Sunday school class, in the, uh, the, big, the, the bigger adult Sunday school class. It's Charles Swindoll's Hope Again, When Life Hurts and Dreams Fade. I, I won't go through all the, the chapter titles, but, but these are titles that I think that all of us still tend to need to, to understand. A lot of these kinds of things, oh, I know that. I know the scriptures to that. But knowing and putting into action, or knowing and continually putting into action, tend to be separate entities. We, will, we know, and we may have even exercised those thoughts at one point in our life, but over time, we forget. And some of the things is hope beyond guilt, becoming living stones, reasons for pulling together, staying clean in a corrupt society. Satan has got the game plan going on out there to deceive us, and we need to make sure that we're standing where we need to stand. Uh, how we can smile through suffering, the give and take of dom- domestic harmony, maturity checkpoints, and that doesn't mean age. You can, you can be, be as old as Dennis if that's possible. <laughs> Just kidding, brother. <laughs> You can be, be as old as you can imagine and still be immature. You can almost maybe be as mature as Dennis, too. He's a very mature man. Just don't ask Sarah. Marching orders for the soldiers of the cross. Other things as well. There, there, there's a lot of great chapters. The name of the book is Hope Again, When Life Hurts and Dreams Fade. We'll be starting this next Sunday, and I've already had someone come to me and, and uh, say they want to buy all the books for the class. So the books are going to be paid for. And, and ready to go. So I would hope if you haven't been, a, been coming to Sunday school, maybe you didn't want to get in on the last of the, the, the book we were just finished up today, we'll be starting a new study come starting next Sunday morning. And again, that's Charles Swindoll's Hope Again, if you wanted to get your book early on your own. Okay, I think that's enough announcements. Chris has got our scripture reading for us this morning. I can pray with you, brother. Father God, I thank you for my brother and his willingness and his uh, desire to be obedient and to come and share the scriptures that you've laid on his heart for us to hear. May you just bless him from the inside out, Lord. Uh, I I thank you for a godly man, a godly father, a godly husband that you've chosen to put in this church to to lead others, Lord. May we hear what you're going to to say to us as he takes the lead and opens it for us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, brother. You guys will have to uh, afford me a few forgivenesses here. Uh, my voice is a little shot right now. I'm a little sick, uh, so I'm going to talk quietly. Uh, no, <laughs> no, it was not. 
Uh, but I want to tell you about uh, this guitar. Some of you guys have seen this guitar before. Um, this guitar came to me. It was found in a place that it should not have been. Uh, open to air in a garage or barn somewhere. Uh, my mom and dad found it and they brought it to me and said, hey, uh, can you do anything with this? Is this of any value? Uh, and I said, well, maybe. I looked it over. Um, it's, a, it's a Fender guitar, if you didn't know that. Uh, it was in pretty rough shape. Uh, it needed new strings. Uh, some of the electronics on it didn't quite work, like some of the knobs don't really work. And uh, this slider here only works sometimes, and it, it had quite a few uh, dings and bumps and, and blemishes all around the sides. So uh, I said, well, I could probably do something with it. Um, I figured that I could, you know, clean it up a little bit, give it a purpose, um, especially here at the church, because I don't really have a guitar, uh, that would suit worship music well. I do have other guitars, but they don't really tend to worship music very well. They tend to more loud rock type musics that I used to play. Uh, so yeah, I said, ah, you know, I'll, I'll do something with it. I'll figure it out. Um, so you know, on the on the outside, this guitar probably is not worth much. Uh, you know, the established value of the guitar, at least what the world thinks of it, is uh, is actually written right here on the back: two hundred fifty bucks. That's all anybody thought it was worth. Um, so, you know, even at two hundred fifty bucks, like I said, I, I figured that I could do something with it. Uh, it could still serve a purpose. Um, so, uh, I started. You know, taking out the blemishes and sanding it. I don't know if you guys can see, you know, some of the detail there. Uh, there were lots of really deep cracks and chips and stuff here along the sides and everything. And I, I took some sandpaper and, and uh, sanded all that out. Some of them took some really heavy sanding. I had to really get into the wood because uh, it was pretty, pretty deep down in there. <laughs> I had to, to correct. So um, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do with it moving forward. I'll probably just kind of put some oil on the wood and maybe just leave it like this with all the chips and cracks exposed. Um, if you guys didn't realize that this was a metaphor, now is the time for you to realize that every, every bit of the story that I just told you is a metaphor for, you know, being a human in God's hands, right? Um, so, yeah, that's what I wanted to get across to you today. Uh, also, the scripture reading that goes along with this is Isaiah 55.10. Uh, and Isaiah 55, 11. Uh, For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. So uh, this was the, the sand block that I used to sand all the stuff and blemishes and stuff out of this guitar. Uh, it's, it's a pretty heavy grit. Uh, I had to use a really heavy grit to get down into the wood and, and you know, correct some of the, the uh, blemish in the wood here. Um, so God's word is kind of like the sandpaper, right? The moment that I drew this sandpaper across this pretty nice, clear finish, it was going to affect this guitar in some way or another, Right? 
In the same way, God's word, when we come into contact with it, it's going to affect us in some way, right? When we leave out of this place or when we you know, leave out of an encounter with God's word, it should change us in some way. And it might get deep. You might have to get really deep with God's word, and it might be painful. But let God's word change you. Don't leave out of this place or don't leave out of an encounter with God's word without being changed by it for the better. And realize that through that change, you still have a grand purpose like this guitar does in my hands. I play it for a purpose. Amen? Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for everything that it is and and everything that you are. God, we thank you that we are instruments in your hands and uh, we ask now that, that your word would come and change us and show us what we need to be in your hands. In your name we pray. Amen. Bless the Lord. This uh, hymn's on page 139 in the hymnal if you'd like to turn there. That's a little red book in your pew that we don't get out too often. <laughs> but... um. Uh, this is a beautiful song written a long time ago, but it's, its meaning still rings true today because our God is never changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let's lift the Lord up in praise together as we sing this hymn at Calvary. Years I spent in vanity and pride Caring that my Lord was crucified Knowing that it was for me, he died on Calvary. Mercy there was great, grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burden so found liberty at Calvary. By God's word at last my sin I'd learned. Then I trembled at the law I'd spurned Till my guilty soul and pouring turned to Calvary Mercy there was great and grace was free Pardon there was multiplied to me There my burden soul found liberty at Calvary Give me Jesus everything Now I gladly own Him as my King Now my raptured soul can only sing Of Calvary Mercy there was great and grace was free Pardon there was multiplied to me There my burden soul found liberty At Calvary the love that true salvation's plan Oh, the grace that brought it down to man Oh, the mighty God that God expand At Calvary Mercy there was great and grace was free Pardon there was multiplied to me There my burden so far liberty At Calvary Mercy there was great and grace was free Pardon there was multiplied to me 
bear my burden so for liberty at Calvary.
I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hand, my name is written on his heart, I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. To look on Him and pardon me. Hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the one risen Son of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the one risen Son. perfect spotless righteousness the great unchangeable I am the king of glory and of grace one with himself I cannot die my sin is purchased by his blood my life is hid with Christ on high with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the one risen Son of God, we come before you this morning. We do praise you as the one risen Lord, our Lord, our Lord and our Savior. In Jesus' name we say hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Give God the glory this morning. Amen. As we get back to our seats, I did forget one very important announcement, and that is that we have a a new addition to the world. I'll defer to Miss Deanne. You want to give the proclamation or you want me to? Okay, I thought you would.
And she pointed out a truism today in Sunday school. I said, I want to remind you of that statement that he's perfect in 15 years. And she said, I'm the grandmama. He's always perfect to me. (laughs) Touche. I agree. I understand. I understand. All right. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Exodus. Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18. As we look at the Scriptures this morning... The, the, the passage of script. This is what the Lord laid on my heart. I, it, I had a. I shared just a little bit of this Sunday. I mean, Sunday school this morning. I was gathered one day this week with a bunch of pastors. It was a kind of a conference slash luncheon with a bunch of pastors from, from pretty much from all over. We had folks from San Antonio, Canyon Lake. There was quite a few pastors. But as I was talking to these pastors, one of the things that that tended to uh, jump out at me, which which caught me a little bit off guard. This, these were, were mostly Southern Baptist pastors. These were people that I tend to know mostly where they stand doctrinally. And these were godly men. I don't want you to think that I was just hanging out with these, these folks from all over type thing. But these are very godly men. However, one of the conversations that ensued there at the table, the, the, the tables that we got to talking about, kind of broke my heart because there was about a 50-50 split. I don't know the exact numbers, but it was real approximate to being about half one way and half the other. And that was when we started talking about some of the things that's going on in the political arena today. And it kind of broke my heart that about half the pastors there said that they would not speak about any kind of political or politics within the church, that they felt as though it was not their place. We need to remember that I am not here to ever tell someone whom to vote for or what party to vote for or anything of that nature, but that does not negate the fact that the Scriptures tells us as Christians who we are to stand behind and what we are to stand for. And that being said, we are to continually preach the Scriptures regardless of whether the world finds it politically correct or not, and also too regardless if there's any threats of uh, income tax and all the other laws and all this. Other. I think the men, the biggest argument I heard against speaking to anything political in the church was not that they questioned their faith, but they were worried about what the law may say and what the IRS may do. We need to remember, guys, first and foremost, that God is bigger than anyone that sits in any political office and also than bigger than any entity that the government has put together. That being said, we must stand upon the Scriptures and present what the Scriptures tell us to do. Now, I believe that you would have to be completely under a rock to not have acknowledged that we are in the midst of a political time, a political uh, uh, entity going on around us right now with getting ready for the primaries coming up in March 1st. And there's a whole lot of hype. There's a lot of political hype on both sides of the aisle that's coming out there. And there's a whole lot of showmanship, a lot of things being brought forth on the TV and the radio. And and we are being inundated from every which way and direction with these two-minute sound bites of who all these people are and begging us for our vote and things of this nature. As I was praying about the message this morning, God laid on my heart that we know who we should vote for. It's in the Scriptures. And that's what I want us to look at today. In, In Exodus chapter 18... Start or in verse 21. Notice what it says here. But you should select from all the people able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, and hating bribes, and place those people, place them over the people as officials 
of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. So select from all the people able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, and hating bribes. This morning, I had, I, I, the, the, the message I feel is that the Lord's laid on my heart has a simple goal. I hope that we will see that Christ has just as much to say at what concerns us in the realm of politics as, as, as the, in the selection of who rules us. God has laid it out for us. God has told us clearly what and whom we should go amongst the people and look for in a leader, whom we should go to. You ask any typical American today about what it is they are looking for in a candidate, and I think you're going to get an incredibly wide array of answers. There are people looking to, who just looks good. There's people just going to see who smiles the prettiest. There's people out there just looking to see who, who's got this kind of clothing that they wear. Then you have those who actually do look at their political platform. Where do they stand on these issues? What are they, their beliefs? Others look for just their likability. Are they personable? How well he or she debates. I am so sick of hearing about all he did this, she did that. He stands this way, he stands that way. Uh, how they debate one another. Uh, the, what is their purpose of getting involved in the political arena to begin with? We can hear all these answers. But we have the true qualifications given to us right here. We have the qualifications that God is looking for in our candidate. God wants us to base our choices. Now, understand, when I say that, I'm not saying that he's saying just don't go and do. No, he wants us to vote, and he wants us to think, and he wants us to pray, but he wants us to base our choices on these biblical qualifications here, guys. And that's what it feels like God's laid on my heart to share this morning. What are these biblical qualifications? We have not been given the luxury to sit back and do nothing. God did not say that go ye therefore bury your head in the sand and do absolutely nothing. That's not what he said to do. We are to go out, we are to be salt and light, regardless of whether it's politically correct or not. We are to go out and vote for whom it is that God tells us to vote, regardless if somebody says, well, you're throwing your vote away, or you're doing this, or you're doing that. We are to get on our knees, look to the Lord, God, whom is it that you say fulfills the category, categories and the, the qualifications that you've laid out for me, and that's how we're to go and vote. It isn't about who can show one up or the other, who can speak more clearly than the other, who's got a prettier smile, who wears cufflinks and who buttons. It isn't about any of that stuff. It's about these qualifications right here. And the first one, he says, look for men who are able. Able men. Now, what does that mean? When you think of able men, when we select people out of those, uh, out of the people who are able-bodied, in First Chronicles 9.13, it says, very able men should be chosen for the service of the Lord. What is God talking about when he says, I want these able-bodied men? It, the service of, for the service of God, he wanted able-bodied men then, and he still needs able-bodied men today. When God was calling us out to go and get able-bodied men to lead others, he had a specific thought. He said, these men who serve me, able-bodied men that they can can do the job, but they are people who can do their job understanding whom it is they're working for. Me, Christ. Are they committed or not? There's the old story, and some of you may have heard it, where the, the, the pig and the, the chicken are walking by the church one day, and they're looking up on the sign, and the front sign says, help us feed the poor. Well, immediately the chicken says, that, man, we ought to go in there and 
we need to help feed the poor. Let's go in there and, and, and make them bacon and eggs for breakfast. And the, and, and the pig thought for just a second and said, wait a minute now. I, I don't know if I like that idea. For you, it requires a contribution. But for me, it requires an entire commitment, a total commitment. That's what being able-bodied means, guys. When God is talking about this here, he's saying, I want men who are totally committed to what they are doing, totally committed to me and committed to government. Many in government today do not want to be totally committed. They'll throw a little bit in there, but because they are not totally committed, because they're just kind of in there, they are not able-bodied men. Because they're not totally committed, they're not totally doing their job. When we are looking to put someone in office, we need to look for who is that one that is truly able, who is trying to be committed. Able means to fit the position, someone who is qualified for that position, aspiring to to do what God's called them to do faithfully. Why does God call us to be faithful? If you think about it in the Scriptures, he's repeated that throughout the New Testament over and over and over. But in 1 Corinthians 1.9, he says that God is faithful, whom we were called in fellowship to the Son, Jesus Christ. He is faithful unto us, and he requires us to be faithful unto him. We are to be faithful unto the Lord, because he was faithful unto us. When we put people in government, when we put people in office, they are to be faithful also. To be able-bodied means to be faithful to Christ. Not everyone can be a president. Not everyone can be a senator, etc. Not everyone can be a pastor. Not everyone can be a teacher. But folks, let me tell you this morning, everyone can be faithful. Everyone can truly get on their knees and look to the Lord. Vance Hanover said that, that many saints want to be flashing comets instead of steady shining stars. They go up like a rocket and fall like a rock because they were only partially committed. Folks, we need to put someone in office who is not committed just for the moment, not committed just for themselves, but are totally committed to what they they feel as though they are supposed to do. If we want someone to lead this country and lead it in a fashion that is godly and in a fashion that will better the country, we need someone who is beyond themselves and is standing on Christ. That's what it means to be able-bodied. Pick from amongst you men who are able, men who are faithful, in other words, men who understand who leads them and are willing to step out and not just commit a little bit, but commit the entire way and are able to see it through to the end, come what may. We need someone to put in office that has that kind of diligence to the best of their ability. What's the next thing he says? Those men who fear him. You should select out of the people... God-fearing men. They are to be able, and they are to be God-fearing. Psalms 2, it reiterates this. It says, Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with, listen to these words, worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage unto the Son. Reverence, trembling, and homage unto the Son. What is he saying here? That the man who's going to be doing God's work needs to fear God needs to understand who's in control. The Hebrew words for those there means to be uh, uh, have an exceedingly understood dread of the Almighty, and not dread in a bad way, but understanding that one day they are going to stand accountable to the one who's creator of the entire universe. 
When we choose a leader, it should be someone who is not just able, but someone who recognizes that there is someone greater than he. You know, to be president of the United States of America can be an incredibly narcissistic and arrogant position if you do not recognize and realize that there is something, someone that is still greater than you are. But if that person that sits in that office realizes that no matter how high and mighty they may be and how much they have at their control, there is one who is above them, it will tend to humble them. And they may just get back on their knees. When they understand that there is a God that holds them to a higher standard of accountability, then you start getting decisions that reflect what God would have them to reflect rather than what man reflects. It needs to be someone who fears God, someone who claims it not just on a campaign trail, but that you can see it in their life. You can see it in what they've done. The fear of God, not only does it give them that catalyst to understand whatever I do, I'll be held accountable for later, but it gives them the wherewithal to be able to, to, to safeguard themselves when they're standing in front of other leaders. When a man has to face down others in this world, they can say, if I can kneel before God, I can stand before anyone. If God be for me, then you guys cannot be against me. A man who truly feels as though that the Lord Almighty is on his side will be able to make a stand and not make silly concessions. I understand there's got to be give and take, but they will be able to do so in a godly fashion when they truly fear the Lord. And I'm not saying, again, just that little bit, oh, I didn't even know they were ever a Christian until they got on the campaign trail. No, we need somebody that we can see in the training up of their children. Look beyond them. Go to their kids. Look beyond them and go to their life. Who are they in Christ? You see, the fear of God leads to great wisdom. The Scripture says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We hear all this blather going on today about this candidate's smart or this candidate's dumb. This one may have wisdom or this one may not. I heard so much about, well, George Bush is not the very smartest. I don't know him personally, but I I tend to have a feeling if somebody, all these people who are saying that would go toe-to-toe with him, he might be a lot more intelligent than they thought he was. I'm not supporting him. I'm just saying... You don't become president of the United States and you can't, you don't have a little bit of wisdom behind you. We are not to look for the knowledge, who's smart and who's dumb, who has wisdom. Intelligence is great, but wisdom is better. You know the difference? Intelligence is is what I know. Wisdom is being able to put in action what I know. I can have a, a, a whole lot of book smarts. You take this book right here, I'd like to tell you I know a lot in this. But, you know, there's someone I know knows a lot more of this than I do, and that's Satan. The devil himself knows this book in, out, backwards, and all the way around. He has knowledge, but he has no wisdom. And he chooses to stand opposing to God than to stand with God. There's a difference between intelligence and wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And that's what we need to understand. That kind of fear keeps men from becoming arrogant. If I know that my God is going to look down upon me, if I know I have to answer to God, then I need to step up there. I need to say, God, what would you have me to do? Where would you have me to go? According to James Madison, before any man can be considered a civil servant, before any man can stand before the people, 
he must first be considered a subject of the governor of the universe. I think that's pretty well put. Before a man can truly lead other men, he needs to be led by, him, by the Lord in heaven above. Before any man can rightfully and truly claim an office to lead others, he first has to be led. And he needs to be led by the one who created all. That's what it means. When we go and we look at these men who are running for office, if we want to do so in a biblical fashion, if we want to vote in such a fashion that God can say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, they need to be able-bodied. They need to be, be men that, that fear the Lord. When we look at the candidates, we need to examine these things. We need to look deeply into what they say about the Almighty. Not just their campaign trail stuff. Does he walk the talk? It's easy to get up and say something. That's why it always astonishes me when people say, oh, you're using that Jesus thing. That's a crutch. Well, you obviously have not walked the walk. It is hard to be what God's called us to be. And it's only by the grace of God that I can do so. Through him, I can do all things. I would not be able to do it without him. And therefore, you can look into my past and into my life and you can see the workings of God repetitively. I would say that no matter if you're running for office or not, we can do the same thing. We can look into the testimony of these men's lives. We can look into the fruit of what they have produced prior to the campaign trail. Do they truly believe in God or is this a campaign trail moment? A deathbed confession, a Hail Mary to get up and win the championship presidential office. We as Christians should hold them accountable. We should go beyond the two-minute sound bites and start looking. God says, I am to pick men who are able. I am to pick men who are God-fearing. These are not easy questions, I understand, but they are still questions that need to be answered before we go to the voters' booth. Before March 1st on that primary day, we need to take this month that's coming right now, this February, and really get beyond the media stuff and all the showmanship. Who are these people God, what would you say have for me to do? And in prayer, where would you have me to go with these? When the righteous, Proverbs chapter 29, 2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. Hallelujah. When we put people in office that are looking to God for leadership, the people underneath will rejoice. We have forgotten that, I think, and we just go in for the reality TV show. We want to just see them fight and, and, and tear each other up. It's like most of the people who go to a NASCAR race. They just hope for a wreck. This isn't NASCAR. This isn't the Super Bowl where some, you're just hoping to see that one great hit or that great catch. This is the lives of millions of people and the state of the world that we're putting in the hands of a person, a man. The third qualification Men who are able, men who are God-fearing, God, uh, men who are trustworthy. Now that, that word is even hard to put in the same sentence with political, I understand nowadays. It's hard for us to think that way oftentimes. Select out of the people men who are trustworthy. Proverbs chapter 13, 44, uh, 34 says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin. Everybody knows that one, but sin is a reproach to any people. It is righteousness that's going to build us up, guys. Men who are trustworthy. That Hebrew word is actually very, could be translated verity, but trustworthiness means someone who, who you can look at their life. Not that if they tell the truth, but are they men of truth? There's a difference there. You say, well, what, what do you mean? 
to tell the truth is just an act. It's something that you do. But men who are of truth is who that person is. When it is verity, when it is truly that person, what God is saying here, I don't want someone who just speaks truth every now and then. I want someone whose life tries to live in truth. Someone who is truly standing up for his, what I, his causes are, the words of God. Someone who truly makes a stand, even though it may not be politically correct. Those who truly make a stand, even though others in his political party may come down against him. It's those who make a stand for what the Bible says to be true. Contrary to popular opinion oftentimes. God commands us, you know, guys, to look into the, the personal and private lives of potential leaders, not to try to dig out dirt, but to see who are they. Are they trustworthy? Are they genuine or are they fake? Do they truly, have they truly lived up their lives? Are they training up their children to live their lives? Does, does, does their lives ooze truth or is there just a drop of it every now and then for whichever crowd they happen to be standing in front of. God says we need able-bodied men, fear, fear, God-fearing men, trustworthy men. Our challenge is to go out there and find that person that fits those qualifications. Find that person that has that personal integrity. It's not that person that has that trustworthiness. That person that truly feels as though that you can see that they are standing there not because it's about them, but what's best for a godly nation? Who is that person out there? And then he says one more. We're, we're able-bodied men. We are to find men who are God-fearing. We are to find men who are trustworthy. And then find those men that hate dishonest gain. That one who hates the bribes. Where, where does his money come from, in other words? Where, where, where did he do this? That's what hating bribes means, is dishonest gain. Gain. He's speaking here, where do they get their wealth? Now understand, now I brought this up in Sunday school earlier too. There is nothing wrong with a man having wealth. There is nothing biblically wrong with that. There's no sin in being wealthy. There's no sin in the money in and of itself. The sin is how you use that money, and does that money become your God or not? The root of all evil is the love of money. Who, who, who is that out there? That phrase there, when it says the, the hating bribes, it means those people, that, that look for someone who does not profit unjustly. Look for someone who has not profited at the expense of others. That, that God has blessed them, that they are working. They're moving here. I want to share something with you. I wrote this down. But in a... a, a, a Reverend Chandler Robbins, in, a, in an address, in a sermon, he was speaking to, to the governor, John Hancock. I think we all know John Hancock, the signature on the Declaration of Independence. But I, I love this part of his sermon. I want to share it with you. He said, how constantly do we find it, it inculcated in the sacred writings that rulers be just men, fears of God, haters of covetousness, that they shake their hands from holding bribes because a gift blindeth the eyes of the wise and perverteth the words of of the righteous. Amen. A man who lives his life getting his money in unjust ways will take office and continue to get his money in unjust ways. Whoever comes up with the most money can buy his loyalty. So why is God telling us that's not the man we need in office? Because we need the man that is God-fearing, the man whose loyalty cannot be bought. 
the man whose loyalty is in the convictions placed upon his heart by, an over, by a God who is all-encompassing, the man who is truly sold out to Christ, the one who calls, not just calls himself a Christian, but walks a Christian life, is not going to take the money from the lobbyists. He's not going to take the money from the other countries. It is the man who will stand firm and say, Thus saith the Lord. Well, everybody here is against you. It doesn't matter what the world says, and y'all can throw your money. I choose Christ. That's the man we should be looking for. Where is that person right there? Not how much money he has, but how did he get it? Did he get it in an unjust manner? Did he step on other people? Is he willing to fight those people who make their money unjustly? So God says that we are to look for people who are able-bodied, people who are God-fearing, people who are trustworthy, and people who are hating bribes. Has he earned his money fairly? Because once he gets into office, he'll continue the ways that he's been going. This morning, this primary vote is coming up. And this may not seem like the kind of sermon you normally would hear up here this morning, but I felt as though this is incredibly important that we understand. God has given us the duty to go ye therefore and make disciples. Part of making disciples is making an area, making a way to where they can be discipled. We should do everything in our power to uphold the government that God has given us. And in this country, he has blessed us with the capability to go and change that government. We have been hiding our heads in the sand and accepting what media people tell us in two-minute sound bites rather than spending the time looking for men who are able, looking for men who are are God-fearing, looking for men who are trustworthy, looking for men who hates bribes, that earns their money in a legal fashion, in a just fashion. If we would go back to those things there and not listen to the folks who say, well, you're going to be throwing away your vote if you vote for this person or that person, but start listening and saying, God, who is it that you would have me to vote for? If every Christian would stop and pray about that decision and do what God called them to do, I think we would see not just a different country, but a different political system in this country. But we have to have the courage to do that. We have to have the courage to step out there. We need to get on our knees, find the individual information on each one of the candidates. Again, I'm not saying a name. I'm not saying a party. In fact, as weird as it is this year, there may be more parties than there. I mean, there's no telling what's going to happen. But March 1st, we know who's on the ballot for the primaries. We need to pray about this, guys. We need to take this passage of Scripture, Exodus 18, 21, maybe print it off on the computer and stick it on your refrigerator, put it on your speedometer, wherever you spend more of your time, and we need to start praying about each one of the candidates. God, who is it that you would have me to vote for? I would never endorse a candidate from this pulpit However, if you was to talk to me elsewhere, you might be surprised by some of the ideas that I have. But I would say this. Nothing should be voted for and no one should write any checkmark, push button, or anything else until they've gotten on their knees. Noah Webster said this in 1832. When you become entitled to exercise the right of voting for public officers, let it be impressed upon your mind that God commands you to choose for rulers Just men who rule in the fear of God. If the citizens neglect their duty in place and principled men in office, then the government will soon be corrupted. 
I think that rings true today. We look at a corrupted government, and we can't blame them. I would say it falls on the Christians that put them in office. Either one, by not voting, or two, not finding out who they voted for. This morning, the message is clear. The verse is clear. We are to put people in office who are able, who are God-fearing, who are trustworthy, who, who do not take bribes. To do that, then we have to go to the Lord. God, who is that person? Plato said that the penalty that good men pay for not being interested in politics is to be governed by men worse than themselves. Don't sit back and leave it for someone else to do. March 1st is coming up, and this is an important year, guys. I think this is probably the most important election that I've seen in my lifetime. Our country is so far in one direction that if we don't do something, who's to say what's going to happen next? It is up to us as Christians to get on our knees, pray for our leaders, pray for everyone who's in office today and who will be in office then, and ask God, who is it you would have me to vote for? Who is it you would have me to seek out? So how should you vote? Who should you vote for? Only God knows that answer. So I would encourage you to pray. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you don't have access to the wisest one of all. The one who can give us the wisdom that is needed to choose. It is a hard decision. It really is. I was amazed when in this conference this week that politics came up just because it is such a taboo subject because so many people get irritated and upset and aggravated. But you know, as I've said many times before, if all of us have our eyes on Christ and are doing what Christ calls us to do, then we're all going to fall in behind Christ and be swept up right behind and with him. It is for each one of us to take our attention and not put it on ourselves, not put it on what we want, not put it even on our own ideologies, but put our attention on God's word and his ideologies. Lord, what would you have me to do? Whom is it that best fulfills these, these roles? Now understand, every person on that list is human. Every person on that list is going to have faults. Every one of them sins, just like you and I do. Every one of them. There is not a soul that's going to be on that political ballot that you can say is perfect. But I sure can pray, God, who is it you would have to put there? Whom is it that you would want me to vote for? Where is it you want me to make my stand? And then go and do what the Lord tells you to do, regardless of what all the pundits and TV shows say. I don't care how great of a showman you are. I was listening to a thing the other day, and it's talking about these political people that are running for office bringing in all these musicians to play at these events. And they were interviewing people, and people said, oh, I don't care about him. I just came to hear the musicians. You know, and I thought, wow, how many people are going to cast their vote? Because, hey, they got Aerosmith to come out. They were around when the Constitution was written. Let's go with it. Guys, it's not about what kind of things people do in showmanship. 
God, what would you have me to do? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have no one to ask. You're going to listen to the talking heads on TV and you may just get duped. However, he who knows everything also knew you before you were ever knitted in your mother's womb. He said, I chose to die for you. Because the wages of sin is death, and the only way to, to, to supersede as for the, for the remission of sin is the shedding of blood. And Christ chose to shed his blood so that whomsoever believes in their heart that he is the Son of God and he's been resurrected from the dead shall not perish but have everlasting life. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ totally, fully as your Lord and Savior, you can do that today. That's the first vote you need to cast. If you don't put your life behind Christ and in Christ's hands, the rest of your votes don't matter anyway because this world's going to burn away one day and you're going to spend an eternity in a devil's hell where it's dark and weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth where the worm doesn't die and the fire endures. Am I trying to give you a scary turn or burn? No, I'm just laying the facts out there. God said there's a heaven. He also said there is a hell. Your decision, your vote on that decides where you're going to stay. He made a pathway. And the world says, that's not politically correct. Why would you do that? It's a crutch. It's this. It's that. It's your choice. You can listen to the world or you can listen to Christ. But once you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, now your next choice is, do I vote the way the world wants me to that was just leading me wrong with Christ? Or will I pray about it and vote the way God tells me to vote and trust him to bring it to fruition? It's your decision today, guys. I will not tell you whom to vote for. I don't want you one day to look back and say, well, Frank said. I'll tell you what I think. But as far as what the Lord says, he made it clear in Exodus 18.21. Let's look for that person. If you're here today and you know Christ is your Lord and Savior, it's time to get active for him. There's plenty of pew potatoes, if you will. There's plenty of people that sit back and says, let everybody else do the work. That's not what God called us to do. He said, go ye therefore. Go out into the highways and byways. Shake the bushes. Invite them all. Bring them in. We're to work. Retirement comes on the other side of glory. So where are you today? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's the most important decision you will make. If you do know him, are you willing to stand for him in that voter's booth? Or are you just going to give him lip service on the outside and then go vote to win the Super Bowl? The presidency is not a Super Bowl, guys. I hear so many people say, well, if I do this, do that, then this one's going to win and that one's going to win. I'm not going to look at it as a Super Bowl. I'm going to look at it, God, what would you have me to do? Just as I do in every daily decision, God, what would you have me to do? Because if I do what the Lord tells me to do, it doesn't matter who wins this outcome, I win in the end. I'd rather stand before the Lord one day and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, than, Frank, what were you thinking? Which I'll probably hear a bunch of those as well. But to the best of my ability, Lord, what would you have me to do? And then don't let people sway you. God, it's you.
I want to lead us in a word of prayer. As important as voting is, and as important as it is to try to choose the man that God would have you to choose, there's nothing more important than your heart being right with God today, though. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's foremost and primary. Please make that decision before it's too late. The Lord may come before the primary ever even gets here. He may get here before lunch today. And some of y'all are saying, you've already went past that, Pastor. Where are you today? Are you ready for the Lord to come? That's the question that needs to be asked. Let's all stand up and lead us in the Lord's Prayer. Father God, Lord, I come before you right now, and I, I thank you for this country that you've given us. I thank you for the freedom we have in this country. I thank you for the men and women who have donned the uniform in the past and have donned it now and those that are putting it on later to fight and shed their blood for my freedom. I pray, Lord God, that I will not only honor them by a commitment to uphold that freedom, but I honor you by trying to continue to make this the godly nation that you've called it to be. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone in this congregation that has not surrendered their heart to you, they have not bowed that knee, may this be the day. God, for those churches out there that say that they'll never mention the fact that you've spoken to politics, may you get to their congregations and let them know that you have a word to say. May every Christian in this country understand that you've given them the responsibility and the right to make a stand for you. And may we do so in a powerful way. Father, I pray your will to be done in the hearts of your people here. Lead that one that's lost to your throne. Lead those who are swaying with the this way and that. And may they be able to make a stand, strong, true, and firm, upon your will and your word. God, I pray your will to be done in the hearts of your people this day. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, this morning I'm going to... I'm going to ask you to look into your hearts. God, what would, I ha- what would you have me to do? And then make that decision. This altar will be open if you need to come pray at the altar. I'll pray with you. You can pray right where you're at. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can pray right where you're at. But let me say this. There's a whole lot of folks that get up there and say, say this prayer, now you're saved. And those folks go out into the world thinking they're saved and they don't know, know, know Jesus Christ from their car outside. The way you truly get saved is to truly accept him. And then it says that he who professes me before men, so shall I profess before the Father. If you truly accept Christ into your heart, you know what's going to happen? You're going to want to tell others what I've done. I've accepted the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. And he loves me that much to accept me. If you're here this morning and you pray that prayer and you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, don't keep it in. Profess it before others. And that way others can surround you as Satan attacks. You become a blip on Satan's radar when you truly have surrendered your heart to Christ. You want the other soldiers of the cross to surround you. Where are you at this morning? As we sing, guys.